0: Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in our study right now through the Old Testament. We are um, in Genesis chapter 29. We're working through the Old Testament a chapter at a time. We completed our five years in the New Testament about six months ago, and now we are uh wow twenty-nine weeks, twenty-nine studies in already. That just amazes me. That's a lot of time when you think about it that way. Uh fifty chapters in Genesis, so we've still got quite a ways to go. And um ultimately to work through the old testament it will take us about 15 years uh we may be able to save a little time running through the book of psalms but i don't not much we might be able to shave a few months off by combining one psalm is really little i don't know but i can probably talk on it for a whole thing um so that's all good so that's what's happening with that we're working our way through genesis remember i say this pretty much every time i start to talk about genesis because these are the i'm hoping by keeping saying this that this will stick with you Genesis is uh, is four main events and four main characters, right? Uh, and the four main events are creation, the fall, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. And the four main characters are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Certainly, there's some other major players as we talked about. Because you, you could say, well, Adam and Eve were they were they had a big part, no doubt about it. Serpent had a pretty big part. Uh, there's some other people in there and. Uh, things going on, but the ones I want you to remember are those things, and always be looking for the crimson thread of redemption which starts in Genesis 3.15 and works its way through the Old Testament all the way to the cross because that's important, and uh, he even has to deal, you already see it running through uh, the covenant promises from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, and now Jacob has to continue on in the deal and what that looks like, and God's hand in that so everything starts flowing from there so um, so we're going to read Genesis 29 in just a moment but I, There's quite a bit of stuff I want, you to, I want to talk about before we read it Because I think it will help with the whole process So um, it's very important for Jacob to find a wife um, That would build the, you know, his family That would eventually become the people of Israel Which is the nation That would bring the promised redeemer into the world the Crimson Thread of Redemption is is happening because of all of these events that are taking place, and if you remember um, last week, uh, Jacob had to leave home um, as a as a consequence of the deception that the whole family was involved in, uh, and that uh, his brother wanted to kill him, and so um, his mother got together ultimately with the father and said, "We need to send him back to the." To the family so he can find a wife, you know, that's suitable for him. And uh, it was also a way to protect him because if he had stayed around, Esau would have killed him uh, And uh, because he had stolen the, the birthright and deceived his way into the blessing. Although God had said it was going to be his anyway, the deception ran rampant. We see the, the dysfunction in the family all over the place. And um, we saw last week that Jacob had made this long journey, um, uh, this first journey to Bethel, Uh, And where he had encountered God, and and things begin to change in Jacob. Really, you'll see a lot of change in Jacob over the course of a life, uh, his life. Um, And and I think that again, remember, I like how the Bible preserves the flaws of the major characters because that gives me hope. Because I have lots of my own flaws, and and if the if the standard was to be flawless um, I, I'm, I don't make the cut. So, uh, but apparently the standard is just trying, you know, to do the next right thing, loving Jesus, knowing that that's how you get there and allowing the spirit of God to work in you over time. And that in the course of a life, things can change. And that's a very good thing. And I like that we see that throughout scripture. I love the, the change that's noted in people. Um, and you know, and, and we've also seen that some people don't end well, that's sad, but, but lots of them do. And that's important. And, uh, uh, so, you know, my, my hope would be that I end well, and uh, I hope that's your hope too. I think it's a good, it's a good hope, and, uh, and, and some of them don't, and that needs to be kind of running through our brains. But anyway, Jacob, he's going to leave from Bethel after this encounter, with Bethel after this encounter that he had with God, sort of, you know, ready to go, and you know, you're God, I'm going to serve you, and off he goes, he makes this really long journey to um, Paddan Aram, and... Um, it's similar to, this, this whole journey is similar to the experience that Abraham's servant had when he went to look for a wife for Isaac. Similar, but you know, in that case they sent a servant. In this case it's Jacob himself going. And uh, certainly Jacob was aware of the story, so off he goes. And uh, he's going to encounter, sort of in the same situation by a well, uh, um Rachel. And he basically falls in love with Rachel on sight. It's one of the first recorded pictures of love at first sight. And and um, uh, and, you, and it's kind of funny when you when you, I go to read it, you'll see because Jacob, um, you, you know, he 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 immediately wants to get alone with Rachel. And also, he's able to move this great big rock all by himself. That's kind of standing there. I think you know that guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh. Okay, and um, large, heavy rock. He's able to move it, so so he can water Rachel's Rachel's flock. And then uh, he introduces himself. You'll see that she runs, and she tells uh, Laban the news, who's you know the the family sort of patriarch there that's left. And Rachel's a daughter, uh, and uh, and so visiting relatives were welcomed, and they would be entertained in the home. They would be received. There'd be a lot of hospitality. Um, when I read the story, you'll see. That this is a, another um, in, another example of the providence of God. I think it's really important in life to see that, um, because it, see, unbelievers would say that this just it's just a, it's just a for, sort of fortunate coincidence that all these things happen the way they do. But um, this is God moving in in life, and that um, I don't I, I, you know I don't like to look at things as coincidence. I like to think of them as appointments. And I'm fascinated, and I hope you are too, that you can look back and see God doing amazing things in what might have been written off at one point in life as a coincidence, but you know it's God. You know, for example, do you ever, because this happens to me fairly fairly regularly, you'll you'll sort of have someone pop into your mind, and you'll think, oh, maybe I should pray for them or something, and then you encounter them, or you just thought about them. I don't. That happens to me often. Um, and and you know, I've told you my. My one ridiculous story. I've got numerous of them. About the first time I ever went to Cuba with a friend and we were looking for a guy named Luis. And that's all we knew about him. His name was Luis. We didn't know where he lived in Cuba. (laughs) We didn't know any of those things. But this one guy had met him once before and thought that would be important as we started doing our mission work in Cuba. And I'm like, really? That's all you got? The guy's name is Luis? Where does he live? I don't know. You know, this is a big island, right? It's big. It's like big as Florida. Yeah. You know there's a lot of Luis's here? Yeah. <laughs> How many are there? Like, like most of them, uh, you know, have Luis in their name somewhere. And I'm like, seriously? we got to find this guy? And he said, yeah. And um, first trip into Cuba, first night, amazing set of circumstances, first church that we visited, halfway through the service, Luis walks in. He didn't know we were coming. He didn't know we were going to be there. He wasn't doesn't usually go to that church. None of those things normally happen. I'm telling you, first night, first thing, boom. And he was significant in all the stuff that we would do over the next 10 years. And uh, and people, oh, what a coincidence. It's not. It can't be a coincidence. That can't happen outside of the fact that God is alive and well and working all the time. Um, and he does that, you know. So that was a huge one, smaller one. one, one I went to Disney World uh, on, years ago with a youth group and... Um, that we needed to do, a, at that point in time I was going out with a youth group and we were doing street dramas and stuff and we were going to Night of Joy or something uh, and I had wanted to reconnect with somebody um, who, I couldn't remember their name but they'd wanted us to come and do dramas and I'd met them once before and I had a thought, well maybe they'll be at Night of Joy now, uh, if you've ever been to Disney World um, at Night of Joy, they, they close the park down and open it to Christians and the place is absolutely packed with people packed uh you, you can barely move around and i i remember thinking i'd be great if i could find this guy i think that's weird thinking you know what i mean and i sat down on a wall because it was, I was i'm tired and uh i'm sitting there on a the wall i'm actually thinking well, i'd be great if i could find this guy and i look over guess who's sitting next to me that guy and you go no i'm serious i looked and i almost do double takes myself I'm like no and there he was and and it was one of those. It's a divine appointment. But those things they happen constantly. If you and and so you know, I bring that up because don't don't write stuff off as coincidence. God's at work in ways, and and it's it's a constant reminder of what He's doing. These things happen all the time, all the time. It's fascinating to me how they work. So, um, you you will start to see as I start to read this chapter some really positive changes in Jacob. You know, he's kind of been very deceptive and, and sort of quiet and sneaky. And you're going to see him get very bold here um, as he introduces himself to Rachel. Uh, he gets very honest as he tells his story to Laban, Rachel's father. And um, uh, But, you know, Jacob has to explain why he's there and what his plans are for the future. And, you know, he's been kind of shady and now he's pretty, um, pretty open. He's uh, the first month in Laban's house. Um, Jacob began to work there uh, he was happy for opportunities to kind of hang out with Rachel you'll see that uh, and now what you're going to find out though is Laban is also a schemer and he's probably he's better at it than Jacob and um, he's going to work some pretty um, pretty intense schemes here and will actually control Jacob's life for the next 20 years by being sneaky and uh, and and he, because of Jacob's excitement and his desire for Rachel to be his wife, he he agrees to the terms. Um, but the terms that he thinks he's making aren't actual terms. When you read them, he thinks he's making a a deal for Rachel, and Laban doesn't actually say that. He kind of hem hauls over it. But Jacob takes it as his word, and it wasn't. It's not what he really says. And well, you look for that. Um, and so he, he actually does not promise that he's going to give Rachel to Jacob specifically at the end of the seven years. Um, he only agrees to give Rachel to him as a wife. It's tricky. He's sneaky, which he'll do. But he you, you see, he substitutes the older daughter first, and then, then he gives him the younger daughter and grabs another seven years out of his life in exchange. Uh, so Laban is really sneaky. And at seven years, and shepherding is not easy so this is a long deal but it says it just flew by the first 7 years because he was excited uh about um Rachel and then the deception you're going to see that the father-in-law deceives him um uh by swapping the uh the women and you you wonder how it even happened how could he actually be deceived into um the wrong bride but um the the the, the whole thing was there was you know it was probably you know, nighttime and veiled and, and um and she was in on it, so she might not have spoke and good you know remember how he took his brother 's clothes to deceive his father? Very, very possible that Rachel took rachel 's clothes and dropped that same deception back on jacob isn't it it's amazing really how things how things happen so and and uh you know maybe we don 't know, but anyway, that happens, and uh he, he, uh, he'll see. He so he fulfills his uh, time with Leah, and then then he does get Rachel to be his wife. So he's got both of them, and um, you, you, I want to say this too. It says he he loved the one and hated the other in effect. But it it's not like he mistreated her. It's just that he loved Rachel more, and so that's how the writer sort of. Alright, so now you have a pretty good background as we read what's happening. And then I'll talk a little more on the other side. Beginning in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 29. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the field with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, My brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, Is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter Rachel with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to the pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking with him, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, You're my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. But Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. That weak eyes thing probably means that she had blue eyes. How about that? Which in the Middle East was not, you know, that's not normal. Not often. So um, Jacob apparently didn't care for that. Um, Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. That's all he says. Better I give her to you than somebody else. But no no real specific. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed. I want to lie with her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and Jacob lay with her. And Laban gave his servant girl Zilpah to his daughter as her maidservant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I have served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, It's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, and then we'll give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah and then Laban gave him the daughter to Rachel to be his wife so that first wedding week in, in uh, uh, and, and throughout really much of Jewish history they uh, they were sort of treated like royalty and they had this uh, this whole week and so it was important to um, the the bride in particular and the husband as well uh, and and so the father said you know do the right thing by Leah and then I 'll give you Rachel and then you have to give me another seven years so uh, Laban gave his servant girl uh Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maid servant. Jacob lay with Rachel also and he um and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he worked for Laban another 7 years. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant, and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben for she said it's because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again when she gave birth to a son. She said because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again, she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, "Now at last, my husband will be come attached to me, because I have borne him three sons." So he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, "This time, I will praise the Lord." So she named him Judah. And then she stopped having children. Blessed be the name and word of the Lord. So uh, let's let's dig back in. Um, back in verse one, you know, we we see. Uh, Jacob went in the, in the, in the language. It's actually, he lifted up his feet. It's as if, um, there in the beginning after this encounter with God that he has, he has kind of a light heart and, and, uh, he's stepping lively after the vision of the ladder and, and, uh, all of the things that God had done with him. And, um, he heads off on his journey. He goes into the land. Um, that, that whole area, you know, designated as the east, um, was, was sort of what we know as Mesopotamia uh, and, um, and the Euphrates. uh And this journey from Bethel to there was... big. It was probably like 400 miles. Significant travel time. Back then. I mean, 400 miles is a significant journey now, I think. So... It didn't used to be for me 20 years ago. 400 miles with nothing. But now 400 miles is like... Like, I need to stay overnight if I go to Miami. <laughs> I'm sorry. Miami? Really? I need to spend the night because... That's a lot of driving. <laughs> That's just me. Anyway, 400 miles. Um, and so, you know, verse 2, he's, uh, he's, he adds to the well. It's a pretty good destination to kind of see what's happening down. It's kind of the focal point. We've talked about that. You know, everything kind of revolved around the wells back then because of the scarcity of water and the importance of it. And, uh, he finds his family, uh, and, um all the all the flocks were there, and uh, and so the the wells were generally covered because you know in in that area the the sands were constantly moving, um, strong evaporation would be taking place because of the heat, and, and um, so this they, they'd have a a big sort of stone that was put over the the uh, mouth of the well, if you would, and. and uh, uh, and and then even that flat stone, there would often be a hole in the middle of that that was covered with a that had a big heavy rock that went in that that they would roll away, and so that was taking place here at the well. Jacob sees some shepherds in verse four, uh, and they were getting there, kind of hanging out. He asks about you know um, who who the flocks were and and where they were from, and if he knew uh, Laban, and they they said they did. And he, he wants to get things going here with the watering and they won't do it till everybody's there. So he's trying to impress Rachel as my whole thing. And so he moves to the big rock. Um, and then, uh, uh, when he's, you know, cause he's seen her and he's immediately uh, attracted to her, uh, and he helps, you know, he helps her with the, the whole watering process and, um, finds out that his family and heads to, uh, Laban's house. And then it, uh, it says it stayed that he stayed there a month, and um, uh, he he um, he had been working for him in some measure. And the Laban said, well, "If you're staying, you know, it's not right just because your family to work here. Let's set up a wage." And um, uh, you know, he said, "I wanna I wanna marry Rachel." And so the um, you, you know a lot of times the uh, he would have been expected to have something. To um, like a dowry, something that he would have given to the family, um, normally money, um, for the daughter. And since he didn't have any of that, uh, he, he did his service, his labor. That's what he offers. All right? And so, uh, verse 17, again, I said Leah was tender-eyed or, or weak-eyed um, and most likely soft blue eyes, which, you know, culturally now is like, would, I got blue eyes, nothing wrong with that. Uh but back then didn't go well and uh Jacob was was uh you know infatuated by Rachel. And so um since he didn't have the you know, as like I said, the dowry or the gift, he uh pledges his, his uh work for seven years and um and it's the other thing too, I talked about deception. Um, Laban didn't inform him at the beginning of the deal that the older daughter got married. You you think that would have been nice. You you know it would have been nice to know that going in. <laughs> you could have mentioned that fact, that little custom of yours that seven years later you're just dropping on me when we made this deal. Um, but uh, he Laban was wickedly clever because he got 14 years of labor for his... I mean, just, and, you know, it's not right, but you can see it happen. So... Uh, then we see, you know, Jacob wasn't happy about it, but there wasn't much for him to could do. And, and the other thing, you know, that you gotta see in Jacob's sort of, to Jacob's credit here, even after he had been deceived, he stuck to his deal. That's, uh, that's pretty significant. You could, he, he could have walked, you know, he could have, he could have walked away from it, but he didn't, he stuck to his deal and did, did the whole thing through the process, keeps his part of the bargain and, uh, i think that's important that we don't um so you know where one of the ways we can get really trapped in life is planning out revenge when we're hurt, and it's never good it doesn't ever it's never a good thing it's just a bad spot, so you don't want to do there and then uh then these um the children start to come, and um you know today parents generally name their kids. If just kind of something catchy or something that sounds good or maybe has a family significance or whatever, um, you know, sound good, sentimental appeal, something. In the Old Testament, names were pretty uh, important and, and parents chose names for the children that reflected situation at the time of the birth, hoping that the children would fulfill the meaning of the names that were given them. And then later on, sometimes they would look back and, um, actually change a name. If it, if it didn't go well. Um, like, for example, Jacob um, means he grasped the heel. Uh, or, or he deceives. His name was changed to Israel, um, one who struggles with God because he improved in his character uh, over time after his relationship with God. And so he was no longer seen as a deceiver, but as one who sort of wrestled with God in a good way. So that's a good thing. So Leah, um, the 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 wife who's you know not as nearly as cherished um, as Rachel is to Jacob but the blessing of the Lord is seen in male offspring and Leah proceeds to give him four male offspring um, which is huge and it it doesn't seem to have any effect but she names her kids Reuben means see a son uh uh and and uh and, and since they all wanted sons, Leah was certain this baby would cause her husband to love her. But she was wrong. Simeon means one who hears, and um, it, it suggests that Leah had been talking to God about her misery. Uh, and and yet years later, these two sons, Jacob would replace Reuben and Simeon with Joseph's two sons in the tribes, because um, of their um, they, these guys got way off track in their lives, and so. They they were replaced, and you'll see that later on in the names of the tribes. Levi, Levi was the name she gave to her third son, which means attached. Um, she was still hoping that uh, that Jacob would love her, and then um, uh, finally the fourth son, she calls him Judah, which means praise. And what she does is finally she says, "Okay, I'm just have to trust you, God. I'm letting it go, and this time I'll praise you for what you've been doing." And so that happens with that process and things will change ultimately long term with uh, Jacob and Leah uh, so we'll see that as we keep going But that's good enough for tonight uh, and uh, so if you're here great uh, watching if you're watching my video come back and join us whenever you can hope it was helpful we'll be in Genesis 30 next week and uh, we're going to call it a night right there if you have prayer requests you can pass them up to me Robert's picking them up I will pray for you if any of you can stay and help stack chairs, we've got to stack the whole place up. That would be cool. If not, please don't lift anything that you shouldn't. That would not be good.